Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Breaking Down the Doors, the podcast where we're talking about all things Vanderbilt athletics. I'm your host, Mike Organ from the Tennessean, and with me, as always, is Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks. Today, we're wrapping up another horrible Vanderbilt basketball season. Adam? Horrible, huh? <laughs> it was, it was, it's been better than last year. That's saying something. And being better... Last year was horrific. So yes, it was. Is, this it was, was just horrible. It was the worst ever. Yes. And because it's better is why we can say the phrase Jerry Stackhouse, SEC Coach of the Year. We can say it, but do we agree with it? Well, it's not true. No. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> who would say that? Who would vote for the guy? Well, we, we, we know of one person, uh, Mike Wilson uh, at the Knoxville News <laughs> Sentinel. He's a, he is our Tennessee basketball beat reporter. Um, he actually wrote something. It's on Tennessean.com right now that he said on his ballot he voted Jerry Stackhouse Coach of the Year. And I will say, if you go and read it, there's a reasonable case that he makes. I don't know who else did. Full disclosure, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't get a ballot this year. I voted on all-SEC football and all-SEC women's basketball, but not men's basketball. So I didn't get a vote, but in this podcast, I'll... I'm not I'll, surprised the SEC did not send a uh, ballot to the Vanderbilt beat writer. Somebody votes from here, but I'm not sure who. And you do it regionally. I, I yeah. honestly don't know how you do it. But I voted on different teams. I did not this year. That being said, I don't know who my vote would have been for. Maybe Buzz Williams. He did a pretty good job at Texas A&M. John Calipari's got a case. I know that's a weird one for some people. Jerry Stackhouse was 3-15 and this year in regular season conference play. That's better than last year. It was 0-18. The bar was set low. It was. Uh, he had the same problem as Bryce Drew did last year, where he lost his best player to injury. Darius Garland is who Bryce Drew lost. Aaron Neesmith was out after the first conference game for Jerry Stackhouse. He did a phenomenal job of keeping the guys on track, which did not happen last year. Bryce Drew uh, had better talent left also. I Wouldn't think you so. say that after yeah. Garland was left? I mean, you know, the, the, uh, he still had the big kid, so, yeah. you know, he could have done – you would have thought that they would they would not have tanked. Like he, had, he had near the same team as this, but he had Simi Chateau, he had Joe yes. Toy. Um, he had more pieces. I mean, he had Aaron Neesmith last year. Bryce Drew did at the end of the year. Um, so, uh, it was a moderately more talented team that Bryce Drew had. Jerry Stackhouse had a lesser team. He had as many as four walk-ons on the court this year in the regular rotation, not garbage time. Four walk-ons. One of them, Braley Albert, was a starter for a lot of this, a lot of this run. But John Jossel, who was a an equipment manager the last three years, he played uh, meaningful minutes. So it it was. I say all that to say Jerry Stackhouse got the absolute most out of his team, but but and let me also say this: not just three wins. Also, they lost a little bit more respectably than uh, 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 Drew's teams lost. Yeah, I mean, well, they weren't getting blown out for one. They had they beat a ranked LSU team. They beat South Carolina. They got they got they they, they won back to back games to finish the year. Um, beat Alabama on the road. They lost six conference games by single digit margins. And now that's where I will part ways with with Mike in the SEC Coach of the Year vote. Of those six single-digit margin wins, if you win or losses, if you win four of those, that's seven and eleven. Then I think you've got a coach of the year case. Yeah, it's slam dunk. 
maybe even if you win half of those and you're at six and twelve in conference play. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're 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 talking about a team that was left for dead that's beating good SEC teams. Three and fifteen is just hard for me to. It's hard for me to get there. Uh, my philosophy is, you can say somebody did a really good job without saying they did the best job. Yeah. And I think that's where Jerry Stackhouse is. Really good job, not the best job necessarily, at least not enough to to warrant an award like that. Now, if you want to talk about uh, players, then I don't think there's any doubt that you put Saban Lee, uh, not the player of the year, but definitely amongst the best players he, because he, he carried that team. And he got he got awarded second-team All-SEC. I'm perfectly fine with mm-hmm. that. Scotty Pippen Jr. was freshman All-SEC team, so – Vandy did get recognized despite the poor record for uh, having a respectable year. Again, low bar compared to last year. But, you know, with the coach of the year thing, it's um, it's always a philosophy with a lot of these awards. You know, what does the Heisman Trophy right. mean? What does MVP mean? What does outstanding player coach of the year mean? If, you know, and also, if you come in as the uh, predicted to win a conference, and then you win the conference, then you have no shot at being coach of the year. Right? What does that just, mean? You did what you were supposed to do. Yeah, and some people think it's what's well, the most improved. Some people think it's uh, yeah, it's well, if you were the coach of the best team, that's what it is. John Calipari actually won SEC Coach of the Year. He's got a case. I mean, they were the best team. They weren't as good as they've been other years, but I think they, I think heading into the postseason, they were number six in the country. Calipari, to me, is similar to like a Phil Jackson in the NBA years ago. You know, you got Jordan and Pippen, or you got Kobe and Shaq. Well, you've got the best players, but you also have to kind of balance all those egos, and that's a different kind of task. Calipari has to do that every year. So sometimes you can be the coach of the best team and get it, and that that was the case this year. Um, I mean, you know, you and I had a conversation, I know, earlier off the air about uh, about the OVC and how that goes because the coach of the best team in the conference there didn't didn't get coach of the year right and and he was a first year coach Casey Alexander from Belmont I mean you know yes Belmont was predicted to win the OVC because they had they had great talent coming back but you know the transition from a legend from Rick Bird to to Casey Alexander it took its toll and at one point late in the season. Belmont was three games uh, uh, behind first place and then ended up winning its last 12 games and then got in the NCAA tournament, one of the first teams to punch its ticket. And Casey was not the coach of the year. The coach of the year was the Eastern Kentucky coach, whose name I can't even recall, who had a losing record. Come on, you don't know the Eastern Kentucky. I know, I know. (laughs) And he had a losing record. I mean, so, you know, and lost to Belmont significantly in the uh, uh, OVC tournament, the uh, uh, semifinals. But – Again, I think that was more of a case of there, there's some always some jealousy, you know, as there is in the uh, SEC, which it's surprising to me that a Kentucky coach ever wins the, uh, you know, but that's usually when it's based on the coaches' votes. Right. When it's the media, it, that's not the case. In the OVC, it is the uh, the coaches and the athletics, uh, what is it, sports information directors. So it's harder there because you're going to have – coaches who are jealous about other programs that are never going to vote for this person or this player. Yeah, I think I think Calipari almost won it because there wasn't a clear-cut choice. There wasn't a Kermit Davis at Ole Miss. There wasn't a Rick Barnes at Tennessee. There wasn't somebody who overachieved by a lot. So you kind of, I think a lot of people are looking at, hey, if Stackhouse wins two or three more games, uh, maybe he gets it. But uh, that was not the case. The reason that 
Jerry Stackhouse had such an uphill climb is because he who he lost during this season. And the question is, will he get those guys back next season? And what does next season look like? We'll talk about that right after this quick break. Hey guys, it's Adam Sparks. As a Tennessee and podcast listener, we have a special offer just for you. Unlimited digital access to our award-winning coverage for just $1 a week. That's a whole year of the most important sports stories with over 50% in savings. To sign up, go to tennessean.com forward slash podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, so 3-15 and 15 in SEC play in the regular season this year for Vandy. Jerry Stackhouse will go into his next season with a decent roster as long as they stay healthy. Uh, you got to do better in 3-15, and 15, that's for sure. Let, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about what they have coming back. Saban Lee will be back as a senior. He is an all-conference player, and he's, he's a phenomenal player, one of the more underrated players, I think, in Vandy history because of the bad teams that he's played on. Scotty Pippen Jr., we've already mentioned, had a pretty good year as a freshman point guard. I think he'll only grow. I think he's one of those guys who will get better each year and will be a really, really good four-year player. Used to Vanderbilt would have an old team back in the early 2000s, 90s, 80s, and I think that's what this is building towards. Dylan DeSue also was a SEC freshman candidate this year. Didn't make the team, but was Had really played good. played great in flashes. He did. He did. You, you could see it coming. Mm-hmm. And I think in the offseason, when he puts on, gets some strength and hones his game a little bit, I think the, the best is ahead for him. Uh, Max Evans had a really solid year. He's probably their best defender. He'll be back as a senior. Did he not thrive in uh, uh, Stackhouse's system? Yes. Yeah. He. I mean, he was a guy that was just a defensive guy before Stackhouse came along. They found a place for him in the offense, gave him more free reign to shoot the ball, and we kind of didn't know Max Evans could shoot. I mean, he, he averaged 30 cents a game as a senior in Houston, Texas, in high school, and he came here as a defensive specialist. Well, they found ways for him to shoot the ball. He's been given the green light. He had 31 and seven threes, 31.7 threes against LSU. He had 20 points the other night against South Carolina. He, he can score. So that, At one point early in the season, he was the starter ahead of Saban Lee, correct? Yes, that's right. Yep. So that he, tells you right there he's, he's what played Stackhouse a, thought about He's him. played a number of positions they really like. He is that glue guy maybe that can do a little of everything. Jordan Wright is kind of similar to Max Evans a little bit, and he can't, he can't shoot quite as well. But as a freshman, he was a guy that could kind of play that three, maybe four position. I think he's got a future as a really solid role player. But as I mentioned before the break – Depends on who they get back that they may not get back. Cleavon Brown, Aaron Neesmith. I wrote about these two in, on Tennessean.com this week. Aaron Neesmith, to me, looks bound for the NBA draft. He's a probably a top 15 pick if he's healthy. He was lost midway through the season with a foot injury. was one of the leading scorers in the country. That's when right. He was, uh, when he uh, left after... 11 games, something like that. He was the he led the SEC in scoring. He was top three or four in the country in three-point shooting. He's viewed as maybe the best pure three-point shooter in the draft, and that's got quite a value in the NBA these days. If you can light it up like he can, he's a plug-and-play, can make five threes in an NBA game type of guy. Today at practice, he was not using his cane. He still had a walking boot, but I think today was the day – that uh, this week, certainly, that he is supposed to be able to put weight on that foot without a walking boot. He looks fine. He's eight weeks out of his, uh, his, foot, his surgery on his foot over a stress fracture. So 
He's doing well. As long as he rehabs, um, he will go as a first-round pick in the NBA draft. As always, this happened with Darius Garland. I got some emails and a few tweets this week about, why doesn't the guy come back for the love of his school and college experience? Get his education. Get his education. That's absolutely. And I quickly responded to them. Uh, if your kid in the middle of college could sign a contract that gets minimum $6 million for the first two years – and over the life of the contract, fourteen to twenty million dollars. Um, I think you'd probably do that and say, "Why don't you come back in a few years and finish college?" And a lot of Vanderbilt kids, we've seen them doing that too. Yes, I mean that's not just something you throw out there and then it never happens. We've seen some of these guys that have left early come back and get their degrees. That's right. Recently, yep. football and basketball, both absolutely. So it's it's a it's a no brainer. And Jerry Stackhouse actually said the other day that yeah, and Jerry Stackhouse, a guy that played eighteen years in the NBA made, I think his net worth leaving the NBA was $60 million. And went to an academic school, too. So he, he, he understands the education. Yes. So, I mean, and he, he came back and got his degree later from right. North Carolina. Actually got a business uh, from the Harvard Business School, got a, got, got a degree there from, uh, also. But, um, yeah, if you're a first-round pick, you go. To gu- you it's a guaranteed two years, you, you go. There's a no-brainer. I think most Vandy fans understand that. Neesmith, I think, is gone as long as he's healthy. I think he, he's gone. Cleavon Brown, the senior power forward, can come back under a red shirt, a medical red shirt. He only played 28%, 29% of the games. Um, if you play under 30% in the first half of the season, you can come back. So he should be able to come back if, if he wants to. If I'm a Vandy fan, I want him back as much as I want Neesmith back because did Vanderbilt ever establish a post uh, presence after he left? Well, no, I disagree. I think Neesmith is more valuable if he comes back. But judging that Brown actually probably could come back and Neesmith won't, it's the more realistic thing. Yeah, but, yes. but I, also, I, just, I just think that they really missed yes. the, uh, his post presence. Yeah, uh, if, if, and if you get him back, he's a guy that could give you 8, 10 points a game, 8 to 10 rebounds. He's a double-double type guy. We'll see. Does he get into grad school? Um, does he want to play another year? How healthy is he? He had a knee injury. It was a meniscus. That's always kind of iffy with some guys. So I think there's a pretty decent chance he comes back. If he does, again, that in your backcourt, you have Saban Lee, Scottie Pippen Jr., Max Evans, Jordan Wright. In your front court, you'd have Dylan DeSue, Cleavon Brown, um, you know, you've got some other pieces. Matthew Moyer could come back as another big. Educa Obina could come back as a big. So you've got a little bit of a nucleus of a team that should be able to win if healthy. Now they'll add three, maybe four guys. DJ Harvey is a Notre Dame uh, transfer. Um, he started quite a bit at Notre Dame. Was a pretty good player at Notre Dame. It, it's a good guy. He's a six-six guard. Has two years remaining. Averaged uh, 10 points, four rebounds at Notre Dame. Started 29 games a couple of years ago. DJ Harvey will be probably a starter as like a three-man, a wing. Quentin Melora Brown uh, is a a transfer from Rice. He started uh, started the whole season as a freshman. Averaged 7.6 rebounds. Was a good shot blocker there. He's a 6'10 kid. So that's that's a good big. So they get a big, and they get a perimeter guy, and then Miles Stute, who is a three-star signee, will give them a little bit more in the backcourt, small forward kind of type. And uh, Isaac McBride, we're waiting to see if he comes. He's from he's a, he's a Kansas transfer, but he did not play there. So if he does come, he's not enrolled yet. If he enrolls in the summer, 
he could maybe get a waiver to be eligible either early in the season or midseason. You add those three, maybe four pieces, I think you've got a team that, that could compete. And that's all you're asking to do. If you think Jerry Stackhouse is a really good coach and you give him a better lineup, I think you you win next year. To what extent, I don't know, but I think you win certainly more than you did this year. How much trouble are they going to have, speaking of Jerry Stackhouse, keeping Jerry Stackhouse? Um, you know, I think the I think the big issue was when Malcolm Turner, the AD, left. Well, Jerry Stackhouse is tied to him. He said he came to Vandy because of Malcolm Turner. I'm not so sure that tie is as thick now as is strong. Stackhouse said as soon as Turner left that he came here because of Turner, but he's here now because he likes the job, he likes the university, he has a relationship with Vanderbilt now, not just Malcolm Turner, and I think it's, I think it's a good chance that he's he's here and he's fine long term. Uh, Hasn't he said he has a good relationship with uh, Candace Story as well? Yep, yep, Candace Story Lee, the interim AD. Now that's a question if she was not the permanent AD, does mm-hmm. that change his thinking? Although I don't think that decision is going to come really soon. So if if he was having second thoughts at all, you know, it would be in the summer, in the fall, whenever they decide who their full-time AD is. And by that point, he's already looking at a second season. So I think Stackhouse is looking forward to kind of building this program. He's going to have to get out and recruit pretty well because Saban Lee is gone here in a year. And some other guys will start to leave. And right now he's going to bulk up his lineup next year with transfers and transfers can only carry you so far and at Vanderbilt you can't guarantee yourself to get transfers every year because the academic standards you mentioned Pippen how did his season come along where did he finish and what role will he play next year how much more of a role will he play next year I think he's your four-year point guard which is very rare Almost like a four-year quarterback. Which that, is, absolutely, which is probably what they're going to have in, in, in Ken Seals or Mike Wright uh, when football season <laughs> rolls around. Scotty Pippen is – I thought this was smart. It looks smart to uh, in retrospect now that Stackhouse, when he had Neesmith and Saban Lee both, when Neesmith was healthy, he brought Saban Lee off the bench as the scoring point guard. And he had Scotty Pippen Jr. start at point guard basically to say, Scotty, you're going to be here for four years most likely. Let's get that started. Let's get you running this team. You don't have to score. You don't have to fill up the stat sheet. Just learn how to run the team. And by the end of the year, I really thought he learned how to run the team. I was slightly skeptical early on about Pippen, thinking I think there's some limitations there. He's a he's a good, solid player. He was a three-star signee, and I thought he looked like a three-star player. Didn't look like a four-star, five-star. I thought as the year went on, I thought you saw more and more of his intangibles, intangibles that will show up more as they put pieces around him. When you've got a Neesmith or Saban Lee at the wings, he's better. When when you've got a post-presence that can score, Scottie Pippen is better. He is not a guy that's going to give you 20 points a game, but he can give you 12 and 7 assists, cut down on the turnovers he needs to do as he gets older, but he's a guy that can fill that role He's a guy that could be a four-year point guard, and I think that's probably what he's going to be. He, he can compliment. He, he needs a player to compliment him, whereas Saban Lee can kind of go, go off on a tangent on his own. That's right. And I think Dylan DeSue, the other freshman, has uh, much more of a future as more of a possible NBA guy, maybe, if he 
bulks up, gains strength because he's a he's a long, athletic guy that can also shoot the ball. And what so, I saw, he just he needs to play a little smarter. It seemed like he was he had trouble getting into foul trouble. Yes, he did. He did, and he was you know he was sporadic, which a lot of freshmen can be. Mm-hmm. I thought Scottie Pippen was more steady, which is why he got uh, that and better numbers is why he got SEC uh, on the freshman SEC team. Speaking of talent and even young talent, let's talk for just a minute about Vandy women's basketball, specifically the future of Stephanie White. I put in a request for any kind of statement about her future to Vanderbilt to this point. As we air this podcast, they have not answered yet. There's a lot of things going on at the university with with illnesses and uh, tornadoes. tornadoes, all the stuff that's going on in Middle Tennessee, they're Women's dealing with. basketball <laughs> is kind of down on the... Yes, uh, it is. So I don't know that I'll get an answer soon, but I ask this when this is a possibility. I asked this last year of, uh, of Malcolm Turner when he was the AD. What is the future of Stephanie White? S- just simple question. Is she returning next year? The, the reason to ask that is uh, Stephanie White just finished her fourth year as head coach Four losing seasons, uh, four first-round eliminating games uh, that went over in all the SEC tournaments they played. Uh, they were better this year. They were 14-16. and 16. Mm-hmm. That's following the two worst seasons in Vanderbilt history when they had single-digit wins. So on one hand, you can say, well, they, they improved quite a bit. They almost doubled their win total. On the other hand, you can say, but the bar was low because she set it low. So now you get into going through four years, how much can you bring her back? We don't know because it's a private university. Is she on a five-year contract or a six? She was hired when Bryce Drew was hired as a men's coach. He had a six-year contract. Don't know if that means six for her or the standard five years. If it's five years, she goes in as a lame duck coach next year. If it's six, she's still got a little room there. You know as well as I do, especially with a sport like women's basketball vandy doesn't mind to have a coach on a lame duck contract you don't re- usually go in at vandy with a sport like women's basketball and say i gotta get a new no. five-year deal because i have to recruit they don't really care in many instances it's well when your contract's up we'll talk yeah that school recruit vanderbilt the 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 school the academics recruits its uh women's players it doesn't necessarily do that for football and maybe not as much men's basketball but it does a great job uh selling its uh prospects on the academic end for whatever reason that's just the way it is and the way it's always been uh didn't stephanie also kind of experience the same thing drew did but because there's not so much attention shown on it on the program it wasn't as highly publicized in terms of uh, injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a ton of injuries um, the last couple of years, uh, specifically this year, Brene Alexander, which was an all-SEC caliber player, local girl from Riverdale and Murfreesboro. She was out for the year. They had a few other injuries along the way. Kendall Golden, a freshman. So, yeah, they lost some. There's a fine line, and this will help Stephanie, that there's a fine line between success and failure at that program this year. They finished, I think it was 14 and 16, they lost a couple of bad games at the end. Missouri, I think, maybe uh, I think Auburn. If you win one of those, you win a couple of those, you're probably in the WNIT, which would be a phenomenal thing. Mm-hmm. So you're a game or two away from what's success. That's why I tend to think they will keep her around because she is moving things forward. She has recruited well. They have a whole lot of talent. I mean, quickly, I can I can look through here, and Chelsea Hall is a – pretty close to an all-SEC caliber player. Jordan Cambridge was on the all-SEC defensive team. She led the conference in steals this year. Um, 
Brene Alexander, when she comes back, is an all-conference caliber player. Coy Love was on the All-SEC freshman team, maybe their best player near the end of the year. Autumn Newby will come back as a really solid, big, very good defensive player, rebounder. And I can look on down the list. I mean, there's there's quite a bit here, but Akira Levy, a local girl, a transfer from Missouri, she will be added to the lineup next year. They'll go seven, eight deep of really talented players next year. I tend to think they'll keep Stephanie around to see if she can she can finish what she started. But as you know, Vandy women's basketball has had really high heights, and they need to kind of get back there soon. They're starting to get too much distance from when their glory years, which were well, it was a long time, and the last time they were good uh, because it ended under Melanie Balcom's tenure and uh, hasn't been anywhere near that good since then. Really good tradition. Really good tradition in that program that they need to get back as quickly as possible. See if Stephanie's wanted to do it. Okay, that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already, and remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And drop us a review or a rating while you're at it. For Adam Sparks, I'm Mike Organ, and we will see you next time. Music.